I'm grateful to be here. It's probably the most normal thing I've done in the last two and a half months. Um, I'm not sure why I have emotions right now. Yeah. It was good to be back. Um, I'm grateful to be in the Lord's house this morning. I hope you are too. Uh, thank you for receiving me and my family once again. Indianapolis has been good to us. Um, but we left feeling encouraged and filled. Um, what we have to offer to Indy has a big part what you guys have offered to us here at Hope. So thank you on behalf of Catherine Winslow and Callaway. Thank you for your grace towards us. I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 47 this morning. So if you will, meet me there on your phone or Bible or what have you. And I'm going to do my best to get through this sermon. Psalm 47, the word of the Lord reads like this. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The word of the Lord. I would like to tag this text in our exchange into your hearing. He will make you want to shout. Lord Jesus, he will make you want to shout. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and mercy towards us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your spirit. Father, set spirit, I ask that you would, you would please give me what I need for these next few moments, but more importantly, you would give your people what they need in these next few moments. Help me to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Would your word fall on fresh soil? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody. I would like to live a long life, and longevity has its place. 
but I'm not concerned about the now. I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over the mountain, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy. I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man because my eyes have seen the coming glory of the Lord. Those are the famous and significant and prophetic words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was the night of April 3rd. 1968, black folks of all shapes and sizes and ages had gathered and packed themselves into Mason Temple. Mason Temple, a historic African-American church situated right in the heart of Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis was a major stomping ground for the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Weeks leading up to this very night of April 3rd, 1968, there was a strike going on called the Memphis Sanitation Strike. Folks in Memphis were protesting unequal pay, horrible conditions, which led to the deaths of two garbage workers, Echo Cole and Robert Walker. Those names may not mean anything to you, but those names are etched in the history of our country in the history of folks who look like me. These men were killed by faulty garbage compactors. Things had gotten so bad that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had to make a visit to Memphis in hopes of encouraging these Memphians. As many as 3,000 folks gathered that night inside Mason Temple to hear the Dr. Reverend King and outside of the famous and powerful I Have a Dream speech there in Washington, D.C., this speech on this night would be his most powerful and poignant sermon of his life and his ministry. And what would be later named as his I Have Seen the Mountaintop Sermon, Reverend Dr. Keene had come to encourage and empower and elevate a movement of equality and justice. And how might, how, how might the Reverend Doctor go about such a task? Well, he preached God's word. The son of a preacher, who was now a preacher, did what he only knew to do. He gave the people a thus saith the Lord. He proclaimed to them on that night a glorious vision of a king who would one day wipe away all injustice and evil in this world. It was a vision that captured the hearts and imaginations of his listeners, which would inevitably pave the way for the most comprehensive legislative reform this country had ever seen. But what is most significant about what Reverend King shared that night 
is that it was a vision or a word that predated him. And every other being that has ever walked the walls and halls of life on this earth. See, Dr. King filled the, the ears of his spectators with poetic and descriptive language about the kingdom of God. His method to embolden a people on the fringes of society was one of prophetic preaching. What a, what a moment to consider. You know, I heard a pastor recently say, the worst of times is when we need the best of Christian preaching. And what about the moment we live in? where we hear a lot of things and a lot of solutions and a lot of problems being solved via other words. But I've come here this morning to say the worst of times need the best of Christian preaching. King did it take a page out of the world's playbook and feed folk political ideologies that promise comfort and safety. He dared not to peddle self-help formulas that attempt to promise happiness and peace. No, no, and no. Pastor King gave something, gave them something you could put your full weight on, something that you could lean on, something that you could rest your feet on. God himself. The one the Bible calls the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end. The one who created all things with nothing but his mouth. The one who can be everywhere at all times. But somehow, someway, always show up right on time. Mm, do I have a church this morning? Yeah. So, so what do people need when times are bad, or, or when the cultural moment feels too overwhelming and burdensome, or, or what about when your heart is hanging low, when the legs to your own soul can't stand upright? And I'm here today to preach to someone who needs to be reminded of the kind of God that they serve, that, that God isn't just the Lord, isn't just the Lord of your own life, but he is. Lord and King of all the earth. This text is tailored to teach you and I that, that God is not bound to the ways of this world. Instead, he moves and he acts in such a way that the world has to submit to him. I thought I would get more than that from you. So here it is. Here it is, and I'm out your way. I'm back to my seat that you and I don't get to make up God's identity, nor do you get to determine his agenda for your life and for that matter for the rest of the world. No, God is the one who makes himself known. And if that's the case, then he gets to do what he wants to do. That's the message. That's what the psalmist is trying to come across, get across. Notice how the songwriter portrays God. Here it is, verse 2. For the Lord, the Most High. 
is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. The songwriter is describing God's identity, his, his personhood, the stuff that makes him him, the essentials. It's what some scholars call God's transcendence. Oh, see, I, I know big theological words have fallen on hard times these days. I know we modern and sophisticated Christians don't like those big words. But, but can, I, can I say that it's okay to use the language of the Bible? Can I say that it's okay to, to pick up on what the Bible has to say to us? Because maybe, maybe those words can, can give us loftier ideas about the God we serve. Just maybe these words can elevate the holiness and righteousness of the kind of God we see in the scriptures. Mm. So that is to say he is above all things. He's, he's in all things. Without him, there's nothing else. God puts the is in the is. Mm. He is self-existent. He is self-sustaining. He doesn't need you to be him, but you need every bit of him to be you. Oh, that's a good word, church. I'm, I'm starting to have fun now. He, he surpasses all things. He overcomes all things. Might I say he's bigger than your politics? Yes, he is. He laughs at your money. He yawns at your education. He dictates where the wind blows and, and determines where the sun sets. He knows every hair on your head and what you thought about before you went to sleep last night. He is God all by himself. Oh, but the psalmist doesn't stop there. When you come to discover who God is, you inevitably come to find out how he operates. That is to say, God acts according to his identity. He does what he does because he can't help himself. That, that's, that's just who he is. See, the Israelites knew a thing or two about the peoples and the nations that we see here in verse, or excuse me, in Psalm 47. Within the context of our Psalm, nations and peoples meant all of the surrounding countries who were opposed to God's people at that time. Uh, you've read your Bible, the Canaanites, excuse me, the, 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 the Zebusites and the Perizzites and all those ites, right? Those are the folks who didn't like the people of God. And I can only imagine that when Israel sung these words, that they would hearken back to the days of Pharaoh, where God rescued them for from 400 years of oppression, or the time God defeated all the Canaanite kings of Joshua and his army that they were going up against. There they were, a ragtag multitude of peoples, feet dusty and crusty, their clothes battered, sand covering their brows, their mouths were dry, journeying through the desert through the woods and wilderness alone. 
humbled people of God with no military training, no, no strategic plan to fight the enemies up against them, surrounded by one political power after another. But there they are, the last army standing. The track record of God is clear, friends. There has never been, there never will be, there never has been a moment in history that's too big for him. Oh, but what about our moment in history? It would seem as though that the powers, the principalities, the institutions of our day seem to be in control, driving humanity to and fro. Some of us, to some of us, culture has left God in the dust. According to academia, academia God is an old fairy tale, a, 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 a science project. That, that technology to him is, is impossible. Every day, you wake up and you turn the TV on. You scroll through your social media. You, you see 24-7 the chaos, the chaos that abounds in our world, the havoc that is being made on earth, church shootings, school shootings, shootings towards, towards black folk, Asian folk, in these yet-to-be-United States, institutions that profit off the poor and uneducated, allegiances to political powers and so-called political figures. And I want to go on record today, this morning, and say, I believe that more and more young people are walking away from the church because of these very realities. It is becoming increasingly difficult for them to see the difference between nationalism and Christianity in our country. And you wonder, why won't folks show up in the pews? You wonder, well, why, why can I not talk about Jesus and God in public spaces? Because I, I think our, our, our witness has lost some salt and some flavor. We have become too aligned with our political pundits, with what we see on TV. We have lost this message of grace and truth and compassion and justice. And you ask the question, why won't folks come to my church? Maybe, maybe our churches are looking less like Jesus and more like our governments. That's just a question to consider. According to CNN and Fox, this is a godless world that is dictated by power and money and corruption. But what do you say? Who do you think is in control? It's easy to become cynical or disenchanted with the space you live in and wonder if it will ever change, especially when out there starts to come in here. Oh, I know I'm right about it. See, the world doesn't just impact you on the outside. It, it has a way of impacting us on the inside, too. Persecution and calamities may not be at your doorstep yet, but, the, but worldliness is something we battle every day.
The culture around you doesn't have to be obvious. It doesn't have to be all up in your face. Though it is, it has a more subtle and clever way of drawing your affections and your desires away from Jesus. It's very good at lulling you to sleep slowly over time. And then it whispers in your ear and tells you that what you really desire. It says that Social media has led you to believe that you have to look and talk and post a certain way to be accepted and loved. It whispers in your ear and it says your career has led you to believe that, that climbing the never-ending corporate ladder will offer you the happy ending. It, it, if, if you can just close one more deal, secure one more account, that's when you'll feel accomplished and significant in life. See, you Gen Zers, you believe your identity and value and worth is found within yourself and what you do. Why trouble myself with God when I've got my own agency? I can do it. I can make my life to be whatever it is that I want my life to be. How's that going for you? Friends, it is easy it is very easy to believe that God has lost his potency and his power in your life. It is easier to think that he has never been sovereign over this world. And that's the temptation. Because I, I, I think that doubt has a way of rewriting the narrative that says God was never in charge to begin with. And this is why, this is why the psalmist plays back the record of God. He pulls out God's stat sheet, and he says, don't you forget who he is. Don't, don't, don't be too quick to move on from the things that God has already done in your life. That when you begin to look back and see where, where and what God has brought you through, the things that he's done to get you here to this very moment, it ought to stir something up inside of you. It ought to cause you to keep taking steps forward when you can't quite see what's up ahead. It says to your circumstance and to the world that they are no longer in control. In fact, they have never been in control. But the God of heaven and earth is in charge. And his faithfulness of yesterday is enough to get you through today. That's a word. My grandmother, some of you have met my, my precious grandmother, that beautiful Cockney British accent. Her, her sister passed recently, this year. And she went up to Stanford, Connecticut to be at her bedside. I said, Grandma, what, how was it? What, how was she? How did it go? She said, we, we, we opened up the hymn book. And we just sang hymns. The last few moments with her sister, she sang and praised and worshiped to her God. We think about folks who have endured something in our history, in our country. 
the railroad men. You know, they would, they would be doing their work, but they would be chanting and singing as they were doing that hard labor. Slaves in the field, they would be singing hymns and songs of God as they had to pick that cotton and work under that uh, high and heavy sun. There's something about songs that, that sweep up the imagination, that take you to another place when calamity and suffering has come to your door. When things get hard, there's something about songs and words that make those moments feel all the better. You know what I'm talking about. You've had a hard day. Life is anxious. You, you don't have the words to pray. You don't have the words to talk. So you put on a tune. And somehow, all that trouble, all that hurt goes. It, 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 for a moment, there are souls. This is why the psalmist tells the people to shout, to clap, and to sing praises to God. The only thing worth doing after you've seen the goodness of God is to stand up on your feet, to clap your hands, to, to open your mouth, to, to lift up your arms and sing praises and praises to your God. I know that may be uncomfortable for some of you, but sometimes when, when God has done something in your life, it ought to do something to you. It ought to make you feel like he's alive and that you do have a purpose on this earth. It don't matter what people think about beside you. It doesn't matter what the world has to say. He has been good to you, church. He's been good to you when you ain't even been good to yourself. When you walk with no hope, just say the name Jesus. When you're told bad news, just say the name Jesus. When you don't know where to turn or where to go and your soul hangs heavy. When you don't have the words to describe your feelings, just praise his name. For as much as he is high and he is above and that he is holy and transcendent over all creation, the psalmist tells us something else, that he is accessible. He is imminent. So you can't have one without the other. The nature of God is twofold. He, he is the perfect balance of power, but both vulnerability. The psalmist changes courses, changes course here in verse 4. It says that God has chosen Israel as his dwelling place. Out of all the nations and of all the peoples, he could have identified with God chose the weakest. And what's better is that he doesn't just rescue them time and time again from up there. <laughs> no. God says, you know what? You know, I, I, uh, uh, up here is good. Up here is nice. Up here is comfortable. Up here is holy. It's grand. It's beautiful. But, but I think I would much rather be down here with my people. Down here on the terraform. On the, on, the, on the crust of ground. I've got a kingdom up there, 
but I want my kingdom be, to, to be down here too. So come here, John. Help me preach my sermon. Come help me be a witness to what I'm trying to get across. The Word, here it is, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. I thought I would get something. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the same Word that was with God from the beginning. He was there when God looked out on nothing. Ain't that right, Jalen? He stepped out on nothing. He spoke to nothing. And as Gardner Taylor would say, and by the word, by the time the word came out of his mouth, all that was nothing started to strain to become everything. I'll try it again. God looked out on nothing, stepped out on nothing, spoke to nothing. And everything that is and was is here by the word of his mouth. Friends, I'm here today to say that the Word was there at creation. The Word was there in Egypt. The Word was there at the Red Sea. The Word was there in the wilderness. The Word was there with Joshua. And when things got so bad, the Word was there by their side. That's the idea. That is what you and I come to see when the curtain is raised upon Psalm 47. The psalmist is having to remind the people that regardless of what you see, regardless of what is happening in your presence, God is still nearby because that's who he is. He doesn't just move way up there, but he moves way down here. The word, that word that the psalmist hoped for, that word that John, the Apostle John, laid his eyes upon. See, see, they got a tent and an ark. But you and I, we got a man. Oh, yes, we did. You ask, how is God imminent? How is it that he is so close to us? His name is Jesus, our king in the flesh. That's good news. That ought to put a smile on you. That ought to make your, your heart and your soul just stir and tingle inside of you. God passed through the cosmos of heaven and earth. He leapt over time and space. He hopped from his perch to put on skin. Jesus crossed every border to get to you and save you from your own sin and that of this, word, this world. He knows this thing's of rejection, the shame of betrayal, the embarrassment of being disappointed. No other power, no president, no court, no philosophy, no system, no government can ever make that claim. Only King Jesus. Friends, you are not without hope. You are not alone when life comes tumbling down or when insecurities begin to creep in. And Jesus, he did more than come down to the terraform. He died until death died. He died until sin apologized. And then he got up with all power in his hands. I said he got up with all glory in his hands. After three long days hanging on that tree, and it was there he said, it is finished. 
That's good news. All that. He did all that so you could be as close as you possibly can be to him at all times. That's the nature of God's identity. That's the nature of Jesus in the flesh. And what, and, and what is true of God has to be true of the nature, excuse me, has to be true of the kingdom he's establishing. Here it is. I'm out your seat. I'm, I'm out your way. I want you to notice the kind of interesting language left for us in verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of Abraham. Shields of the earth belong to God. I can't lean into it how I want, but here it is in short. The psalmist is describing the kind of kingdom God has. The kind of kingdom that he's establishing and ruling. He is letting us in on what reality will be like soon. And so if God is king over the earth, then that can only mean one thing. What is true of him is true of this place. It ought to be just and righteous, full of people from all over the world, people from all over this city and zip code. So let me, let me, let me bring it home for you. Let me make it personal. His kingdom will look like a United Nations convoy, an Eastern Kentucky flea market, TDs, lounge, there down the street, all in one space, all in one time. It will be filled with folks we turn our nose up to or, or the family that you think doesn't belong in your neighborhood or the group of people that live on the bad side of town, people who vote Republican, and people who vote Democrat. That's the kind of people that will be in the kingdom of God because that's the kind of God who runs the show. You got to get on board. If you can't get down with that here on earth, you will have problems there in heaven. See, the nature of God's kingdom does not discriminate. It does not stereotype. It does not classify, nor does it marginalize. This kingdom... It's for those who are poor in spirit. This kingdom is for the downtrodden, the needy, the least of these. And the only prerequisite for the interest, entrance into this space is the love for Jesus. It welcomes any tax bracket. It welcomes any zip code. It welcomes no degrees or five degrees. It was this kind of God and kingdom that Dr. King was talking about in his speech. God is both transcendent and imminent. That is his nature. And what he is coming to do on earth, what he has already done and doing on earth, will reflect him. Dr. King understood who reigns supreme on earth and what that meant for people like him. See, his situation was a little less light because he knew what was on the other side. He was captivated by this vision that was promised. He knew that God was incapable of writing checks that bounced. So it had to become true. 
So friends, we praise him, we shout, and we clap, and we lift our voices because he is above every name. You praise him because he knows your name. You ought to sing praises when you are feeling high, and you ought to praise him when you're feeling low. Because he lives on the mountaintop. Oh, but he lives down in the valley. But here's one more reason why the psalmist tells us to praise him and raise our voice. You know, there's something interesting about singing. There's something interesting about singing the goodness of God when God has been good to you. <laughs> because when you sing, your neighbor might hear you too. And they might wonder, man, what's up with that guy or girl? That's what I want with my life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. Be with us. Give us words to sing when we have nothing else to say. Amen.